Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in once again to the Project E podcast. My name is Mahmoud and I am your host. Today we have a great guest. We have Ibrahim Abudiak. He is a serial entrepreneur and a strategist and he is the co-founder of Dubai's ultimate de-stress destination, The Smash Room. Having quit the corporate world after eight years of solid experience in sales, marketing operations, customer service, and business development and management, he still serves as a consultant and a business coach for a number of businesses. Today, Ibrahim will walk us through his journey in the corporate world and all the events that eventually led to him starting The Smash Room. His journey is like no other, complete with ups and downs and obstacles and completely unplanned events and circumstances. But he made the best of it and he is here with us today to share his story. And he also shares with us how the Smash Room is right now expanding after two years of being founded and how you can be a part of the movement. And yes, you can be a part of it because the Smash Room is franchising. And throughout the episode, Ibrahim will share with us how that works and how you can get involved too. So without further ado, Ibrahim, thank you so much for coming in. Please just tell us a little bit about who Ibrahim is. Sure. Thank you, Mahmoud, for having me. I mean, it's it's a pleasure. Well, Ibrahim, <laughs> so I'm the co-founder of the Smash Room, uh, the ultimate distress destination for people in Dubai and actually in the Middle East. And as well as I'm, I'm doing uh, a lot of other things at the same time. But yeah, the Smash Room is the highlight. I, I guess that's what we're going to talk about more today. Definitely, definitely. So Smash Room to me is one of the most cool concepts and the, one of the most creative concepts that have, have come up recently. What I'm really interested about is how you came up uh, with that idea. And I know that you probably got this question uh, oh, a million way, times. Oh, way so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that's fine. Yeah. Usually, when whenever someone comes up with a great idea, uh, the first instinct people get is that they've got this idea straight away. They don't know what what the background is. They don't know what challenges uh, you've been through and sure. what obstacles you've had to overcome to arrive at your mm-hmm. uh, destination with that great idea. So I just want to know a little bit about how you got started in business. Did you did you get into business straight away, or did you start? as an employee. So this goes back to, it's about 10 years ago. My first job last lasted just three months <laughs> and it was in Jordan. I studied mechanical engineering only because I thought I loved cars and I thought by studying mechanical engineering, I would learn something about cars. After five years of studying mechanical engineering, I found out that there is nothing about cars and I got that shock of my life at that time. Uh, nevertheless, I pursued career in the automotive industry and I got a job at Toyota in Jordan. Uh, they call it a ser- service engineer. So in the service department, and it's not really an engineering job. It's just they call it service engineer so that they attract people who studied mechanical engineering, yeah? I got that job, it was more of a hands-on, work, working in the workshop, I, I love it, I enjoy it. And then well, I was applying for jobs online, mostly in LinkedIn, and I got a call from someone in Abu Dhabi at that time. I had a job for me for Ford in Abu Dhabi, so Ford dealer, which is Altair Motors. Ford or, dealer, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Premier Motors, uh, it's, it's called Premier Motors in Abu Dhabi. Sure. Uh, it's the same, Altair yeah. and uh, Premier Motors is the same company. So it's it's called service advisor. It's basically the same job. It's just 
the the designation is is different and i spent there two years and that's what i call like my first proper job yeah I've learned a lot in that job because the the focus, the emphasis was on customer experience and customer handling skills. So first of all, it's an international environment, which was totally different from me working in Jordan, where it's like almost 90% of the you know people that I deal with are locals, speak the same language. While we move to Abu Dhabi, you know there is like more nationalities than the United Nations has. And, and then you have to deal with people with so many different cultures and backgrounds and different expectations. Then you have to, you know, at the same time, handle uh, all of these learnings and experiences in a professional way. So the learning curve was massive, very steep. And I'm I'm very grateful to, to having that first job, to be honest, because I've learned a lot about myself, about people about how you deal with for example angry frustrated people that come to you and then they start maybe yelling and shouting and then you still have to deal with them in a professional way because obviously there's nothing personal in there and that was like the first shock okay how how why are they shout why is this person shouting at me you know is it is it me or is it you know and i i learned no it's they're not actually angry at me they're angry at the process they're angry at the at the system they're probably angry at their car why it broke down and all of that but right. nothing personal the other shock is came like what I've learned five years of engineering uh, there is nothing practical that, could, that I could use in terms of information I would say 1% so five years you've studied uh, me- mechanical engineering and you find out that 1% of what you've learned can actually be applied into the real world is that what you're saying yes okay and but you still had to learn on the job mm-hmm. right so absolutely I would say Three months at that job, I learned way more information than what I've learned in five years studying at school and university. So, uh, and we're not talking about here as information as much as it is uh, life experiences and lessons. So uh, the thing is, and unfortunately, that's the truth today that, you know, real education happens right after you finish formal education. Right. You know, we learn nothing about money in school. We spend like, you know, 12 years plus five years in engineering, 17 years. And here I go, like I graduate and what, 22, 23 and I know nothing how the financial system works, how, how people, you know, how, how trading, how companies run, all of that basic stuff that you should learn about in real life. So that was the harsh truth. It cost me five years of my life. And I live life with no regrets. But if there's only one thing that I would want to change in my life is actually studying in school. I wouldn't actually do that at all. And but studying five years in mechanical engineering got you into Ford, right? That's sh- for sure. Yeah, it helped. It helped get me at that uh, that position. But I had colleagues in the same job who didn't study engineering. Some of them actually studied really totally different things. Some of them was an accountant, but loved that, and, and it came into the industry by experience. And then they got they landed the job at Ford by working previously, someone gave them a chance, you know? Uh, So you don't actually have to be an engineer. It could be a bonus if you wanna learn more about 
tech and like mechanics of how things work, but doesn't mean if you didn't study engineering, you cannot understand or if, if you, you just have to spend a little bit more effort uh, and, and you get there. It's not, nothing is really complicated and there's a lot of uh, resources and courses that you could uh, learn on the job they actually don't have to go back to your engineering. I never, the, the, the thing, the funny thing is, I never took a textbook with me. You know, I left everything back home and never even had to go back to any of these textbooks. If they were already useful, I would take at least one with me. Or I would say, you know what, I would ask someone back on, can you check me that page from that thermodynamics book, you know, and check that formula for me? <laughs> never happened. I, nev I would it never doesn't. even imagine. It doesn't. I would never happen, for sure. Uh, and and that's, that's, again, like, I mean, there's a lot of money put in the education itself. There's a lot of time, a lot of effort, um, a lot of expectations only to find out that it's just a myth and the truth is and, and the real life experience starts right after unless you start, you know, preparing yourself in parallel along with your studies if you still have to do that. What you just said is so interesting because I do agree with you that the, the real life experiences happen uh, when once you get to the workplace and it sounds it sounds like Ford really gave you a orientation, let's call it, into all things, skills that you needed to learn in the workplace, how to deal with people, how to deal with customers, and how to work in an organization and understand the workplace environment and dynamics, correct? Mm -hmm. What happened after Ford? So how long right. did you stay at Ford? So I stayed with Ford for two years, Altair Motors, and at the end of the two years, I talked to the management, I said, you know what, I feel like I got the hang of this. I want to do something different. Uh, I want to grow. And growth is one of the highest needs that I have as a person, as Ibrahim. We had this discussion. They agreed to the fact that I actually, you know, needs to be somewhere else. But, you know, at that time, there was no um, available vacancy uh, to move me to. Right. So... You know, they they try to set my expectations and you might have something in the next one year or two years. At that time, to me, I said, OK, I'm sorry, I can't wait. Right. So I got a job at Chrysler Group Middle East office. So this is moving from retail environment to corporate environment. And that's other next big mindset shift. Oh, so you resigned from uh, you resigned from, from Ford. I resigned from the dealer, the Ford dealer uh, in Abu Dhabi. Moved to Dubai right. to work with a Chrysler Group Middle East office mm -hmm. as a corporate office where mm -hmm. they oversee the operation of Chrysler dealers. I mean, we're talking about the brands of Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, mm -hmm. and later Fiat and Alfa Romeo came in awesome. the uh, picture. Um, so I moved as an sa uh, sorry service and parts uh, specialist. And from there, and I mean, the first the first challenge that they had to see is like it's different. It's now I'm not dealing directly with customers. I'm sitting in an office, and then there's a lot of travel involved, and there's a lot of learning in the, involved with the travel. And I'm, I'm now I'm meeting with the people who I've learned from, and I'm telling them I'm the regional office, I'm the head office. Yeah, this is what you need to do. And mm -hmm. I'm meeting with, for example, the service manager, parts manager, after sales manager, sometimes general managers, at some point submit owners of really big dealer groups in the region. And you know, this is, this is everybody knows, it's a big family business here. 
So again, I went into a very steep learning, learning curve. curve. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you make mistakes sometimes. You learn from them. There was a there was a mentor in there who was also my boss, and I've learned a lot from him. Maher, if you if you hear this, thank you so much. Uh, I mean. It's just, you know, people who try to, (laughs) yeah, see, like straight, uh, seriously, I mean, I I can't, I just can't say enough. uh, Thank you for for Maher. At at that point, I didn't understand it. I thought he's just being unreasonable, you know, stretch you to a limit where you think, you know, this is, I can't do this anymore. But, you know, it's so important, I think, having a mentor in your circle or in your life at any given point. And it's not just life. It's also career, and I think it's it's, it's so important because, mm-hmm. uh, from my personal experience, I I did not have uh, access to mentorship when I got started in business, mm-hmm. and which is why I do know the immense value that mentorship would have brought me, and what I could have gained as a result of having access to a mentor. And they have a way of pointing out things to you that you wouldn't notice, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, because they would set the, I would call it, they have a balcony view. You're in there, you're down there, busy with things around you. They're looking at you from up in the balcony, you know, maybe from the 11th, 20th, 100th floor. Yeah. And they could (laughs) see a totally different view from you sitting down there, right? So... It's 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 really really important, and the thing is, and I and I use this, and I, I couldn't. I, I have a business coach, and I call myself a business coach, and I coach people, but I also have my own business coach. His, his name is Gordon Bjork. He's he's an Australian who moved to the UK. Um, it's someone that you know you look up to if you want to achieve something that they have brought, done it themselves. They've gone through the journey, and they provide you always with feedback and directions. So having a business coach and mentor is, is very important to, to anyone's journey. I do agree. And uh, you you stayed with Chrysler for how long? Yeah, so uh, Chrysler uh, became Fiat Chrysler Middle East as a global merger. The thing is, I stayed with them in total of five years and that's the longest job I've had in my life. Mm-hmm. In the five years, I've consistently been promoted every year where I reached to a level of uh, country manager, sales and marketing. So I spent three years. And that years. was uh, which year? Uh, this was 2017. 2017. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, in, uh, so three years and after sales, I said, I want something new again. Uh, and I spoke to my mentor, Maher. I told him, I want to move to sales. And I know nothing about sales at that time. Like really, like just just a little bit about sales, almost nothing. And being a really great person who looks at things from the bigger picture, all to him, to someone else could be losing one of his best, you know, team members. But he spoke to the CEO, and we spoke uh, about it. And then uh, he saw the potential. Said, "All right, there is a chance at the sales team. Go and get it." So I got country manager sales and marketing, spent the first year in there, the second year until all of a sudden I come to the office and there is this um, sales director there, my boss, my new boss, calls me to his office. It's morning. I say good morning. He say, take your phone and your laptop and get out of here. You just walked into the office just and they told into you the that office. It's like a regular day for me. Really early. I don't even remember. There was a lot of people in there. There was like a few people only. And so it must be like pretty early. And just 
like just go, the HR will contact you to handle the rest of the process. And I wasn't allowed to work one extra day in the office. Now, regardless of the reason, this was probably also <laughs> the biggest, you see the shocks that, that, you know, can, but this was the harshest, let's say in terms of like, it was really harsh at that time. Cause to me, I mean, being an expat in Dubai, and I, I know people could relate to this. You have your, you know, you have your expenses that will not change regardless of whether you have a job or not. You still paying your rent. You're tied up with you annual need, contracts. You need the <laughs> visa. Even if do will uh, force you to sign a two-year contract, and like you know, you have a visa concern. You have probably you're you're deep down in debt with the the lifestyle. So you get a car, you get like phone, you get all of that really nice fancy stuff. And at that time, uh, I would say Ibrahim today compared to Ibrahim two years or three years ago is probably a totally different personality. I was I was more of like looking at the material things differently from how I look at them today. I want to go back to that point because I think that signals, I think the shift of your mentality, how Ibrahim started to, to change. When that happened, describe to me exactly what happened afterwards because I think it's very important to where you are today. This is probably very painful to remember, but now I'm actually very grateful to that moment. What happened is that, yeah, I took my phone, I took my laptop and I went. And at that time I was married and I didn't want to, I didn't know what to do, what to, where to go. I mean, the office was in Internet City. There was this Internet City lake. I just walked in there and thinking and thinking, so many thoughts coming into my mind and 99.9 are very, very negative thoughts. Like, this is a disaster. You lost your job. This is a high paying job. Uh, you have high monthly expenses. How are you going to tell your family? How are you going to tell your wife at that time? How are you going to tell your friends? You're going to tell them that you're fired? In our culture, it's something that, you know, people really try to avoid talking about, even though we don't like to confront it. So I went there and at some point I, I, I found a space where no one is around and start crying. And I was like, it, it was a very vulnerable moment where I thought, it's almost the end of the word. How Foolish. did you get out of it? So uh, it took a huge mindset shift. I would say it's not just a mindset shift. It's like erasing every limiting belief that I had before and replacing them with new ones. What helped a lot, I would say before even that, things got really dramatic with my marriage almost at the same time. And I had, oh, okay. I was at a f- almost a five years mark of my marriage as well. Are oh, you were married for five years? Yes. So the marriage and, and the job were like almost at the same age. At the same yeah, time. they like started almost at the same time. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, my marriage issues started to escalate and escalate and escalate. And now I reached to a level where now I'm have to deal with losing my job and a very depressing relationship or having to so into a decision where should I actually continue with this or also deal with divorce while dealing also with the loss of job and loss of career at that time what really helped is that I went to a seminar for Tony Robbins in London it's called Unleash the Power Within 
And this one, you know, part of it, I don't know if you've been there. Uh, I haven't. I, yeah? I actually haven't. Uh, but I'm such a huge fan of Tony Robbins. I follow him. I consume his content and I do believe in, in what he says and what he teaches. I would love to attend one of his seminars uh, one day. Absolutely. For sure. I think, I think uh, how everyone, was it? Should, everyone should. How, how Man, did it go? It's, it's crazy. It's one of the uh, most remarkable experiences I've had in my entire life. I mean, 10,000 people in one place from 70 nationalities. And all, all of you, all of them, at the end of the first day, walk on burning coal, walk on fire. Became fire is it actually walks. burning coal? I heard that. It but is. It is. People don't want to believe it. How do you it. walk on burning coal uh, and you, you don't walk, get hurt? You walk, you make it, and you know what? You saw me walking. Is there any problem with me, with the way I walk? <laughs> My feet is like perfectly well That's and so healthy. It is. And there is even a video of Oprah Winfrey doing that. I'm going to uh, look that up. Yeah, it is on YouTube. Okay. So Oprah went to uh, unleash the power within, and uh, he made her. Was she was she there at the same uh, no, time? No, not 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 at the same time. But the point is, you get over your fears, and you just understand that it's all here in your mind. There's nothing actually a, a reality. It's just compared, you know, how we were kids and the things that you do as a kid, and then compare them to the things that you are willing to do today. And there is so much that's just far from being the truth. It's just conditioning. It's just limiting beliefs that are projected from our parents, from our society, from our families, from the school, from all of this environment, you know, that wants you to be just to fit in a mold where everyone looks the same, talks the same, does the same things, you know, what, have the same choices in their lives and just to fit in. And that's a culture of fitting and especially big in this part of the world, unfortunately. Uh, and I've, I've had to go through the process of erasing all of that and replacing yeah. them with really fresh ones that... With positive, you know, encouraging beliefs. Yeah, it's, but it's not just about being positive. Mm -hmm. It's just about what you can actually do. What's your potential as a human being? What, can, what your brain can do? Uh, what can you achieve? Uh, all these things that people will tell you, no, that's impossible to do. You cannot achieve that. You cannot do that. Uh, you're crazy. You're insane. When I hear that, I know I'm doing something good. When people tell me you're crazy or uh, that's impossible, you cannot do that, I get motivated <laughs> to do the opposite. You, you get motivated to prove them wrong. Yeah, right? yeah. it's not just about proving them wrong. It's about what? proving to myself that I can do that and I know that I can do that. So if there is something that people say it is impossible, it's most probably possible. Absolutely. And so when after after the uh, after it took so it took three days. So that's that's about it's a four day. It's a four day event that I came back from. And within within about a month, I started going through the divorce process. OK. While at the same time trying to figure out my career okay. and what I want to do in my life. Mm -hmm. And just realized that I don't want to get a job anymore. I got an offer from General Motors with the lease at that time for the same position with even a better pay. And I had to turn it down. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was about burning all the bridges behind me. That takes me back to the same road, to the same scenario, the same situation. Yeah. So I, s I always thought that I want to create something. 
I want to do something. I want to create companies. I like getting something done from the scratch, all of that stuff. Right. I've done side hustles, but you know, uh, you're never going to get get it to where you want to be unless you give it its right. Unless you do it really uh, full yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Or give it the right attention, amount, the right amount of resources and time and effort. You cannot just do half things uh, and then expect things to blow off and like, you know, grow or all of a sudden uh, something will become uh, really as like the smash room what it is today. No, the, the smash room is to me is something very, so interesting as a, as a concept. And I really want to know like how it got started yeah. and like how, how, how did you come up with the idea? Yeah. It's just so interesting. Uh, can you share sure. how, how you... So we're already, we're up. getting there. So, uh, so here's me coming back from London and going through the divorce and s- trying to figure out what I want to do. I started a small business with a few friends mm-hmm. uh, related to uh, used car trading. Mm-hmm. So again, cars is one of the things that I'm passionate about. Uh, things were like on and off. The partnership itself was not really working well. But at the same time, there was this group of people who went to London, who live in Dubai, and they said, let's get together maybe twice a month to discuss the things that we've learned in London and like keep you know motivating each other. And I thought this is brilliant. This is amazing because I always, you know, they I always been reading and I was like at that time reading a lot for Robert Kiyosaki um, and and that's helped a lot in changing my financial mindset for example. Uh, and other people and then everybody tells you you're the average of the five people that you spend the time with. Yeah. And I looked at the five people that with all respect to these people, I mean, it's actually true. Who I am today or at that time was the average of these people. I even <laughs> look at it, it's crazy. Their finances, their uh, th- their lifestyle, their um, their interests. You had, a, you, you had to audit your environment at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah. And once you did that, uh, you... And I had a radical change of environment that some people even didn't understand it. Until today, they don't understand it. How you They change? probably think uh, that Ibrahim has dramatically changed and there's something wrong happened to this guy and like he lost his mind or something like that. And to be honest, I mean, I want to spend time with people who actually I feel challenged with. I feel look up too and I uh, and I believe that they have done it and they they're way better than me in the things that they are doing. Okay. So I started looking at and and uh, this was a great way to start. So and I mean going to events, associating p- yourself with people who would, you know, who've done it or there are already on the on the road that you want to actually start going in. Uh, and that's when I met Heba, my business partner at the Smash Room and the co-founder of the Smash Room. So Heba was at actually at London's Unleash the Power Within. Wow, was she? Okay. Yes. And I, did I didn't, not, I didn't did know, I didn't know her even at that time. We didn't meet in London. We only met about like a month because after London, I went to Singapore and I went to Malaysia and partially in Jordan and then came back to Dubai. So it was like a, a really long trip for like three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, the first time I got back to Dubai and in the next meetup for, for this group, I showed up. And then everybody was like sharing what they want to do in their lives and like, you know, um, projects or uh, ambitions or ideas. And here's Heba talking about 
creating a place where you can break things. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and everybody was looking at her, even at that environment, kind of ju- judgmental, you know? And I was like, because what Wait. kind of what kind of business? What kind of crazy would <laughs> mind would even you know think about it as like a place where you can actually people would pay to break things? And then so the background of how Hiba actually arrived to this idea before I continue with that story is Hiba a psychologist. Um, at some point, she lost her grandmother. And she was really mm-hmm. uh, like, I mean, her relationship with her grandmother was really, really strong. Mm-hmm. So she's, she was going through really tough grief process. And she tried coping with traditional methods. So say yoga, kickboxing, uh, gym, I don't know what else. I mean, going even to another psychologist, nothing worked. So at some point, she had a baseball bat at home. I don't know why. <laughs> Took that baseball bat with an she old... She practicing uh, breaking things before she came up well, with Well, she's idea. Canadian, so yeah, I don't know. So th- she took this old uh, TV and printer to the backyard and started smashing them into pieces. Hmm. And that's when, she, first of all, she felt so damn good that she said, wait a second, why is this not a business? Why there is no place for people who would need this? Obviously, she spoke to a lot of people about it at that time, starting from her family. Everybody labeled her as crazy, insane, mental. And that's what we call ourselves. We call ourselves the mental minds. Right. <laughs> and we're very actually proud of it because when we met and she said, she all the idea I mean it's like me like you know when you have this light bulb moment say that's it yeah that's it I said that's it remember I was also going through divorce a, 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 um, let's say a very harsh divorce process mm-hmm. uh, losing my career my job mm-hmm. at the same time trying to figure out what I need actually to do right. and that car business is not really actually doing really well I mean it needed more and more work and uh, I wasn't with in, in the right partnership. Mm-hmm. And then here's Heba coming and saying, well, let's create something for people to release their stress by breaking physical things. Take so many things. I want to do something different. I want something crazy. I knew I have a calling in there. And I was going through that process. I said, what, if I try it, how, how would I feel about it? Right. And I said, like, okay, we got a TV. We went to Ajman. We got, like, a really big TV. I had a truck at that time. We put it in my truck at the back. And we took it to an old warehouse and, like, with um, uh, with some sticks and, like, some bats, you know, like like <laughs> like lunatics. Like, we went in a warehouse and we started smashing Smash it. We blasted the, the music really loud. And it said, like, come on, this is, this is amazing. This is great. Um, and you felt a lot of people uh, would also identify with the same yes, yes. feeling that you felt. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons why people need to smash. It's not necessarily because you're stressed. Mm-hmm. So what I'm looking at our customers today, I would say 80% of our customers come down to smash for fun. We still have 20% that come because they're stressed from work, they got out of a relationship, there's a breakup, there's a divorce, you know, someone, you know, they lost someone, they lost a friend, you see all of these really good reasons. But still, we have a lot of customers who come down 
with their friends or their families and uh, just break things just break things because uh, so where do you get where do you get the material that uh, is breakable <laughs> do people yeah. do people donate these things yeah. or uh, we get donations um, but I would say it's just about 10 percent not more than 10 percent of Ten, our uh, so uh, inventory how do you get then your inventory yeah we we buy them we okay. buy them off scrap yards okay because obviously you need some kind of a consistent supply. Of course. Okay. Because you'll have customers coming down every day. And then to us, we want to provide really an ultimate experience. So we want to make sure that we have items all the time. Mm-hmm. Don't want to end up having a customer down there and say, sorry, we ran out of stock. We don't have anything for you to <laughs> for, smash. For you to smash. That has never happened in the entire history of the two years of operating the smash room. Never. And there is a good reason why. We have a real inventory system. It's actually online. Mm-hmm. So these scrapped items right. goes into the system. The system calculates the consumption and then alerts the team whenever we receive, when we reach to the safety level of the stock. And so that the team will prepare an, a fresh order that will be processed in the same day and will have the material delivered on the next day. So we turned what was actually a very simple, very, very extremely simple idea, what it seems to be, mm-hmm. to a business that has all the elements uh, integrated in it. That okay. w- we created job opportunities, we created really a great customer following. We have some uh, people who would resonate with what is the smash room. It's not just about breaking things. There's, there's things beyond breaking things that we stand for, and which is, challenging taboos, challenging status quo, challenging what people can tell you, what you can do and what you cannot do. We all brought up as kids that you cannot break things. You should not destroy your toys. If you drop a glass in the kitchen by mistake, the next thing you get, I mean, in my days, you get a slap in the face. <laughs> Today, I don't <laughs> think parents do, do that anymore, but it's, it's straight yeah. something <laughs> that you're not allowed to do. At the Smash Room, we tell you, you know what? Break everything you see, yell, scream, Shout! Is it soundproof? Know. Is it soundproof? Uh, it's not really, but uh, the music that we play is really, really loud. Mm-hmm. That it is indeed soundproof. And the thing is, um, we can uh, even we ask you for what kind of music you want to play. And the sound system that we have is straight out of a club. <laughs> it is really, really strong sound system. So once the music is playing and like the four rooms are occupied you can even hear a single one. It's all you hear is the music with the bass and it's really high energy uh, happening in there. And people either like scream and some of them cry, some of them uh, start dancing. It's a natural high state uh, where your energy is like, you know, it's, it's out and, and you feel like freed. Um, you, you're free in that moment. You can, you, you can express yourself. So this is more of a self-expression. That's amazing. Uh, in a non-judgmental environment. So we never like we Well, I love that self-expression in a non-judgmental environment. And I think that's what spoke to people. Yeah, it, it may sound or look like just a, a bunch of crazy people breaking things, but what's actually at the core of this is an is an a place, is a place where people can just express themselves without any judgment. One of the things that you mentioned about Tony Robbins and how how you got your cult-like following, you call it. Tony Robbins says that one of the number one factors for 
any business success is having raving fans. And this seems what is going on and what is working for this mushroom. So I really want to know how you got your first customers in. When you started this concept, it's, it's new and people didn't know that something exists, something like the Smash Room. Yeah. How did you market your product, the, the business? And how did, you, how did you get these raving fans? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. So uh, the first part, how did we get our first customer? We used simply social media. We went to Instagram mostly, and we know Instagram is the most effective social media platform in the UAE. Yep. So we went to Instagram and we started, once we had the brand uh, logo and all of that stuff, and we knew more or less a date for opening, then uh, we started announcing that we're opening soon. And this is like, we're You've throwing in some teasers. Started you know, to build what's the hype. This? Exactly, so we started building some hype. And what we were surprised that we were, people were messaging us, we've been waiting for this. Wow, okay. We've been waiting. When are you opening? How can I awesome. book? Uh, all of that. And it was all purely on Instagram? Purely on Instagram. Awesome. All organic. Nothing paid. Till today, we've paid zero for Instagram ads or followers or all of that bullshit. So all of the growth and... Everything and is organic. Organic and word of mouth. Everything, yes. Uh, so, I That's mean... Amazing. It's we we so worked on the launch itself. We worked with a PR uh, agency. Okay. Uh, so they got us the media in terms of like uh, the moment they were saying to the media, you know, there's this new concept. It's called the Smash Room where you can go and break things. It's in Dubai. It's opening soon. And media started fighting on which one would like to cover the opening story. Yeah. And we got like two of the biggest media firms here in Dubai fighting over an exclusive story. Uh, you know, part of our research before we started the Smash Room, there was an article written on, I believe, Time Out that said 10 things that Dubai people want, but they don't have. And at the top of the list, they called it Rage Rooms. And that article was written about four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And then we saw it later on once we decided that, you know, this is what we want to do. Let's do some research. What's happening? How can we generate demand ETC? We saw this article there and confirmed the need for this. So on our first day, we had of, of actually uh, officially opening, we had about 18 customers showing up. So, uh, and I think going to your uh, second question, which is how there is like raving fans. I think a lot of people resonated with what the Smash Room stands for. Yeah, I agree. It's like everybody follows rules and in the Smash Room, there's no rules. Yeah. Outside the Smash Room, the rule is not to break things. Inside the Smash Room, you can just break things. And I think that gives a bit of freedom to, to all the customers and a little bit of empowerment. And that's why they leave feeling more energized, happy, and they come back for sure. Yes, yes. So we've got customers who come back for like three, four times in six month period. And they're, they're totally fine. I mean, they come in for fun or every time there's a different reason or whatever it is, they enjoy, they genuinely enjoy the experience. People enjoy breaking things. Yes. That's and then, and it's, it it's very, very simple. And every time, and, and the thing is, we And try, simple works. People oh, love simple. The place is probably the simplest attraction in Dubai. First of all, it's in a warehouse. Um, everything is raw. 
a lot of original graffiti work and I have to say yes done by a, an original artist who lives here in Dubai that she's she's very young artist that has never done graffiti before it's only canvas and we told her you know what this is the concept you have a free hand to do whatever you want and that's how customers they get and they appreciate the environment you go in the floor the you know everything is kept as is in terms of the look and feel and everything is done intentional the lighting uh, how dim it is the the amount of lighting uh, where the lighting is located uh, what kind of music we play what kind of environment what kind of setup that you have and it's all prepares you for the experience and it's all about experience uh, so what's the name of the artist so the artist is called Noor Noor Bahjat I believe she has a small studio somewhere in Al-Quds or Al-Sarkal. I'm not really sure. But Noor has done an amazing job in doing the graffiti at the Smash Room. And awesome. that later on, she did the one at the second location as well. Uh, right now, th- there is the original location, which is on Omal Sukhem Street. Yes, uh, it's on uh, Al-Quds the industrial site. Yes, right. on, on the main street. Yeah. And where is the second location? So the second location is uh, in last exit, AOH bound on the way to Abu Dhabi okay. in, uh, in a new attraction called Action Park. And Action Park is now located at last exit on the way to Abu Dhabi, mm-hmm. where it's going to be a place where th- you have a number of attractions, a number of activities that you can do at the same time. The first one that has opened there is the Smash Room. So people working in Dubai and who live in Abu Dhabi can leave work, stop at the Smash Room, yeah. <laughs> smash a few yeah, things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get back uh, home. Got some road rage. Someone Perfect. is, you know, just cutting off a Nissan Patrol coming off in front of you <laughs> and like, you know, cutting you off. Stop by the Smash Room. Great location. And I do know that you are franchising right now. Yeah. And uh, is that second location, is it a franchise? It is indeed. Uh, it is so a first franchise. I was always, I'm a huge fan of, of, of franchise because I always look to foreign brands who have grown their business and brands using the franchise model. And we see a lot of them every day. Sure. We consume their uh, mm-hmm. food and drinks Products, and coffee services. every single yeah. day. And services, yes. And it gives me a bit of joy to see, a lot of joy actually, to see local brands Mm -hmm. taking on this form of expansion. How did you come about choosing this model? Sure. It's actually, uh, just before answering that question, it gives us a lot of pride to say we're coming from the heart of Dubai, from Dubai to the world, going international. But the decision behind franchising was the one with the least I would say friction. So the moment me and Hiba shook hands and said, we're partnering, we're doing this thing, when we started discussing what's going to be our growth plan, <laughs> franchising, franchising, yes, that's it. So we both align in terms of like how we wanted to grow this mushroom from the beginning, from day one. And that's how we started even documenting everything in the process that helped us develop that franchise operation manual from the beginning, from the start. And it's it's a living document. It's it's something that you change and adapt and see because we've we've had a proof of concept at Alcoz location. And there's a lot of the processes that we started with have changed today. We've adapted, we've changed a lot of stuff. But we kept franchising in mind always. Because if we want to do something, we want to make sure that other people can do that if we give them the training and the resources to do that. And that's what exactly is happening right now at our first franchise at Action Park. 
And how does that work in terms of licensing? Yeah. So let's say... But primarily in Dubai, um, how, how would it work? Cool. So for franchising, we're actually planning to be international. So our goal is to have 40 franchises in five years across the world. And the good thing is we already have interests from people, for example, in the States, you know, to take a brand who was born in the UAE to a country like the States or to the UK or to Australia or South Africa or Europe or the GCC, North Africa, all of these. So and, and we're working on them. And the thing is, uh, if you want to if I want to answer your question specifically here for Dubai, uh, or let's say if, if you want to franchise the Smash Room to Abu Dhabi, which I believe it's one of the greatest opportunities right now. Uh, if, if you are an individual, you will need to create an entity, mm-hmm. uh, a company with trade license yeah. with a trade license yeah, yeah. Uh, with an activity in the sports, recreation, entertainment, whatever it is. OK. OK. And if you have an entity, that's that's perfectly yeah. fine. The entity should not have the smash room name in it. Oh, okay. So right? it's not the smash room. No, because right. we own the brand. Okay. And so it doesn't have to have the smash room. Actually, so you're not allowed to use it as in the trade license. So, Mahmoud, you approach us saying, I want to franchise the smash room in Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, Jaman, wherever it is. What's going to happen? We connect you with our franchise partner, which is Frank Corp Middle East. Mm-hmm who will send you a number of documents. The first one is called FEF, Franchisee Evaluation Form, Mm -hmm. which you need to fill up. And in this form, we would look into more of what kind of background you have, what kind of funds you're, uh, is it available? Are you taking a loan? All of that information that you need to. Plus there is an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, along with uh, an FAQ document. And in those, they include the franchise fees, they include royalties, marketing, a lot of details. All the terms and conditions relating to that. Uh, I would say not terms and conditions, all the information that you might have uh, questions about. Okay. Uh, in terms of franchising the smash room. Okay. Okay. So once you're like comfortable with all of that, you send in your FEF form and your NDA signed, and we approve you as an uh, like as okay. an evaluation for for you to take the brand. Uh, there is As a potential franchisee. Exactly. Uh, there's nothing binding until now. Yeah. Okay. Nothing binding. We send you something called LOI or letter of intent. And the letter, letter of, intent. of intent, you basically say, yes, you basically say, I am this Mahmoud uh, recreational playground right. LLC right. interested to take the smash room to uh, Abu Dhabi uh, right. for franchising mm-hmm. ETC. And this is the cost of everything mm-hmm. will be mentioned in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you sign on it, we sign it from our side, you keep a copy, we keep a copy. And then at that point, you will be asked to pay 10% of the franchise fee for us to share the financial information. And, and that's part of the uh, process of franchise. And it's a worldwide process. So anyways, so you, you give us 10%, you sign the LOI. Uh, the next step is that we share with you the business plan and the financial plan. And in this, we've worked with Francorp as well in terms of creating a five years projections as a franchisee. What's your investment costs, more or less? Yeah. What's your investment cost? How many team members do you need? Uh, what's your cash flow in the first year? What's your return on investment in the first year, second year, third, fourth, and fifth? Right. So all of these details are in this guide. And but again, it's a guide because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you are the 
business owner. You are the one who's gonna, mm-hmm. you know, your market. You know your market better than us. So let's say we're we're franchising in Saudi. You know your market better. You know which location yeah. will help you with the rest of the details. Okay. Uh, but you're the expert in your local market. The next step is they okay, we have a How? franchise agreement. Depending on the agreement, there is uh, there is something called there's like a single location, or you can go for an area development. Let's say. You will take all Abu Dhabi as as a state, and then we agree to a number of locations over a certain period of time of of years, and then you're allowed to use the logo and you know the communication and all of that, and then you get a number a certain number of days for training that's already covered as a cost from whatever you pay through the franchise fees. Um, we'll help you with the site selection. Uh, we'll give you the operation manual, we'll give you the SOP, standard operating op- uh, procedures yeah, for breaking things, yeah? And it's more than 100 pages document with flow charts and, and all the process, the process documents. So you give me every single thing I need to understand how the Smash Room works and how it makes money and how what type of expenses I'm going to be what facing. What margins even we should recommend, right. what kind of... Uh, cost variable or fixed you should have Perfect. how many team members you should uh, hire what kind of qualifications so it's like a business in a box if you're someone who wants to do to create a business and you're you're an aspiring entrepreneur and you, you want something with a with a bit less risk than just going out starting something knowing nothing about it uh, yeah. the franchising is the best solution so how would a potential investor or someone interested in franchising the concept of Smash Room, get in touch. Where can they find uh, this information or where can they apply? So simply go to the smashroom.com. There is a tab where it saves franchising or, or become a business partner. And then you just hit us up with an email or just directly email me at uh, Ibrahim at the smashroom.com. Well, where can people find you online and where can people connect with you? Sure. So I'm um, available on almost all platforms except Snapchat, I think, uh, at the same handle, which is I Abudyak, that's my last name, I-A-B-U-D-Y-A-K. Uh, you probably find it in the description of this podcast. Yeah. And the Smash Room is uh, available also at the Smash Room DXP. I really want to know this from you just as we wrap up. What does success mean to you, Ibrahim? Damn, why did you leave this today? <laughs> okay, this is this is a, a really deep question. I try to put it in really simple, easy words. Success to me is work in progress. So moving on from one milestone to another milestone, I'm, I'm saying milestones doesn't have to be really big. So celebrating small successes, small achievements, is what defines success over time. So people always think about success like you reach to a level and where you need like to stop working or like you achieved a certain state, a certain amount of money, a certain amount of cars, a certain amount of houses. No. And that's when people actually, when they actually reach there, they become the most miserable of their entire life because they would only realize I have everything now, but I'm not happy. So yeah. success is about, you know, how much impact you can create around you, how much difference you can put on people's faces, how much actually happy you are inside, how much satisfied you are uh, from yourself. If uh, Did you challenge yourself to learn new things every day? 
Is your team happy to work with you? I mean, it's all, it's really complex. And it's just to me, because people really com- like to complicate everything. Success is not complicated. It's just celebrate those small, small achievements every now and then. Set uh, targets and goals that stretch you and challenges you to become a better version of yourself every day and watch yourself grow. Last question. What makes you extraordinary? Oh, mainly mindset. And uh, the beauty of this is that anyone, once you realize that you can change your mindset and it's all about what you believe in and how your mind process things and the kind of ideas and, and, and beliefs that system that you have in your mind, you can basically do what anything in life. You can just move from being ordinary to extraordinary. And as Tony Robbins says, it's about two millimeters and I have it tattooed in here because this is when most people and and Heba has this as well. And it's like when most people give up, it's just probably two millimeters ahead. That's when 99% of the population quit. But, you know, extraordinary people go this because you know you cannot deal with the emotion you cannot deal with the pain you cannot deal with the loss of everything you don't have more money but you only know if you just continued for only this two millimeter difference you would actually create the life that you want to live in that's what separates ordinary people from extraordinary people ibrahim i love that thank you so much for coming on the project Iman. and thank good you luck. for having me good thank luck. you all the best Wow, what a story, right? I mean, just think of all the events that Ibrahim went through just before he started the Smash Room. And he went through a change of circumstance, which he utilized and used for his own advantage and launched the business. So perhaps you're listening to this right now and going through your own change of circumstance and can utilize this as well to launch your own business, your project, your side hustle, and whatever you want to do. And the best part about this is that you can actually be a part of the Smash Room expansion. If you are interested, then be sure to check out thesmashroom.ae forward slash franchise, thesmashroom.ae forward slash franchise, and be sure to submit your information and the team will get in touch with you and you can also connect with the smash room through the social channels below in the episode description and if you haven't done so already be sure to subscribe to the podcast i super appreciate it and until next time